Chapter Six of the Life and Adventures of Nat Love, also known as Deadwood Dick. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life and Adventures of Nat Love, written by Nat Love. Chapter Six: The World Is Before Me. I join the Texas Cowboys, Red River Dick, my first outfit, my first Indian fight, I learned to use my gun. It was on the 10th day of February, 1869, that I left the old home near Nashville, Tennessee. I was at that time about 15 years old, and though while young in years the hard work and farm life had made me strong and hardy, much beyond my years, and I had full confidence in myself as being able to take care of myself and making my way. I at once struck out for Kansas, of which I had heard something, and believing it was a good place in which to seek employment. It was in the West, and it was the great West I wanted to see, and so by walking, and occasional lifts from farmers going my way, and taking advantage of everything that promised to assist me on my way, I eventually brought up at Dodge City, Kansas, which at that time was a typical frontier city, with a great many saloons, dance halls, and gambling houses, and very little of anything else. When I arrived, the town was full of cowboys from the surrounding ranches and from Texas and other parts of the West, as Kansas was a great cattle center and market. The wild cowboy, prancing horses of which I was very fond, and the wild life generally all had their attractions for me, and I decided to try for a place with them. Going around among the cowboys, I watched my chances to get to speak with them, as I wanted to find someone whom I thought would give me a civil answer to the questions I wanted to ask but they all seemed too wild around town, so the next day I went out where they were in camp. Although it seemed to me I had met with a bad outfit, at least some of them, I approached a party who were eating their breakfast and got to speak with them. They asked me to have some breakfast with them, which invitation I gladly accepted. During the meal I got a chance to ask them many questions. They proved to be a Texas outfit, who had just come up with a herd of cattle and having delivered them were preparing to return. There were several colored cowboys among them, and good ones, too. After breakfast, I asked the camp boss for a job as a cowboy. He asked me if I could ride a wild horse. I said, yes, sir. He said, if you can, I will give you a job. So he spoke to one of the colored cowboys called Bronco Jim and told him to go out and rope old Goodeye, saddle him, and put me on his back. Bronco Jim gave me a few pointers and told me to look out for the horse was especially bad on pitching. I told Jim I was a good rider and not afraid of him. I thought I had rode pitching horses before, but from the time I mounted old Goodeye I knew I had not learned what pitching was. This proved the worst horse to ride I had ever mounted in my life, but I stayed with him, and the cowboys were the most surprised outfit you ever saw, as they had taken me for a tenderfoot pure and simple. After the horse got tired and I dismounted, the boss said he would give me a job and pay me thirty dollars per month, and more later on. He asked what my name was, and I answered Nat Love, and he said to the boys, We'll call him Red River Dick. I went by this name for a long time. The boss took me to the city and got my outfit, which consisted of a new saddle, bridle and spurs, chaps, a pair of blankets, and a fine forty-five Colt revolver. Now that the business which brought them to Dodge City was concluded, preparations were made to start out for the Panhandle country in Texas to the home ranch. 
The outfit of which I was now a member was called the Duval Outfit, and their brand was known as the Pigpen brand. I worked with this outfit for over three years. On this trip there were only about fifteen of us riders, all excepting myself were hardy, experienced men, always ready for anything that might turn up, but they were as jolly a set of fellows as one could find in a long journey. There now being nothing to keep us longer in Dodge City, we prepared for the return journey and left the next day over the old Dodge and Sun City Lonesome Trail, on a journey which was to prove the most eventful of my life up to now. A few miles out we encountered some of the hardest hailstorms I ever saw, causing discomfort to man and beast, but I had no notion of getting discouraged, but I resolved to be always ready for any call that might be made on me, of whatever nature it might be, and those with whom I have lived and worked will tell you I have kept that resolve. Not far from Dodge City on our way home we encountered a band of the old Victoria tribe of Indians and had a sharp fight. These Indians were nearly always harassing travelers and traders and the stockmen of that part of the country, and were very troublesome. In this band we encountered there were about a hundred painted bucks all well mounted. When we saw the Indians they were coming after us yelling like demons. As we were not expecting Indians at this particular time we were taken somewhat by surprise. We only had fifteen men in our outfit, but nothing daunted we stood our ground and fought the Indians to a stand. One of the boys was shot off his horse and killed near me. The Indians got his horse, bridle, and saddle. During this fight we lost all but six of our horses, our entire packing outfit, and our extra saddle horses, which the Indians stampeded, then rounded them up after the fight and drove them off. And as we only had six horses left us, we were unable to follow them, although we had the satisfaction of knowing we had made several good Indians out of bad ones. This was my first Indian fight, and likewise the first Indians I had ever seen. When I saw them coming after us and heard their blood-curdling yell, I lost all courage and thought my time had come to die. I was too badly scared to run. Some of the boys told me to use my gun and shoot for all I was worth. Now, I had just got my outfit and had never shot a gun in my life, but their words brought me back to earth, and seeing they were all using their guns in a way that showed they were used to it, I unlimbered my artillery, and after the first shot... I lost all fear and fought like a veteran. We soon routed the Indians and they left, taking with them nearly all we had, and we were powerless to pursue them. We were compelled to finish our journey home almost on foot, as there were only six horses left of fourteen of us. Our friend and companion who was shot in the fight, we buried on the plains, wrapped in his blanket with stones piled over his grave. After this engagement with the Indians, I seemed to lose all sense as to what fear was, and thereafter, during my whole life on the range, I never experienced the least feeling of fear, no matter how trying the ordeal or how desperate my position. The home ranch was located on the Palo Duro River in the western part of the Panhandle, Texas, which we reached in the latter part of May, it taking us considerably over a month to make the return journey home from Dodge City. I remained in the employ of the Duval outfit for three years, making regular trips to Dodge City every season and to many other places in the surrounding states with herds of horses and cattle for market, and to be delivered to other ranch owners all over Texas, Wyoming, and the Dakotas. 
by strict attention to business, born of a genuine love of the free and wild life of the range, and absolute fearlessness, I became known throughout the country as a good all-around cowboy, and a splendid hand in a stampede. After returning from one of our trips north with a bunch of cattle in the fall of 1872, I received and accepted a better position with the Pete Gallinger Company, whose immense range was located on the Gila River in southern Arizona. So, after drawing the balance of my pay from the Duval Company, and bidding good-bye to the true and tried companions of the past three years, who had learned me the business and been with me in many a trying situation, it was with genuine regret that I left them for my new position, one that meant more to me in pay and experience. I stayed with Pete Gallinger Company for several years, and soon became one of their most trusted men, taking an important part in all the big roundups and cuttings throughout western Texas, Arizona, and other states where the company had interests to be looked after, sometimes riding eighty miles a day for days at a time over the trails of Texas and the surrounding country, and naturally I soon became well known among the cowboys, rangers, scouts, and guides. It was my pleasure to meet in my wanderings over the country, in the wake of immense herds of the Longhorn Texas cattle and large bands of range horses. Many of these men who were my companions on the trail and in camp have since become famous in story and history, and a braver, truer set of men never lived than these wild sons of the plains, whose home was in the saddle and their couch Mother Earth with the sky for a covering. They were always ready to share their blanket and their last ration with a less fortunate fellow companion, and always assisted each other in the many trying situations that were continually coming up in a cowboy's life. When we were not on the trail taking large herds of cattle or horses to market, or to be delivered to other ranches, we were engaged in range riding, moving large numbers of cattle from one grazing range to another, keeping them together and hunting up strays which, despite the most earnest efforts of the range riders, would get away from the main herd and wander for miles over the plains before they could be found, overtaken, and returned to the main herd. Then the Indians and the white outlaws who infested the country gave us no end of trouble, as they lost no opportunity to cut out and run off the choicest part of a herd of longhorns or the best of a band of horses, causing the cowboys a ride of many a long mile over the dusty plains in pursuit, and many are the fierce engagements we had when after a long chase of perhaps hundreds of miles over the ranges we overtook the thieves. It then became a case of to the victor belongs the spoils, as there was no law respected in this wild country except the law of might and the persuasive qualities of the forty-five Colt pistol. Accordingly, it became absolutely necessary for a cowboy to understand his gun and know how to place its contents where it would do the most good. Therefore, I, in common with my other companions, never lost an opportunity to practice with my forty-five colts, and the opportunities were not lacking by any means, and so, in time, I became fairly proficient and able, in most cases, to hit a barn door, providing the door was not too far away and was steadily improving in this as I was in experience and knowledge of the other branches of the business which I had chosen as my life's work, and which I had begun to like so well, because while the life was hard, and in some ways exacting, yet it was free and wild, and contained the elements of danger which my nature craved, and which began to manifest itself when I was a pugnacious youngster on the old plantation in our rock battles and the breaking of the wild horses. 
I gloried in the danger and the wild and free life of the plains, the new country I was continually traversing, and the many new scenes and incidents continually arising in the life of a rough rider. End of chapter 6